Okay, I guess we'll go ahead and get started here. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you now just for the privilege of knowing you and really spending our lives getting to know you and really getting to know you throughout eternity. Lord, you are so infinite. There's always more for us to learn about you. Always more to learn about your provisions for us. Lord, we thank you that Christ is our Savior, but Lord, he's so much more. He is our source of all things. And Lord, as we're going to see in today's chapter, he's our source of acceptance. Lord, I thank you that we do not have to win your acceptance. That it's not up to us to live lives that make us acceptable to you. But it's about learning to take by faith what you tell us in your word. Lord, we again are thankful for your Holy Spirit's work in each of our hearts and lives. Lord, we pray that this morning you would open the eyes of our understanding to those truths that you would have us to learn. For it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, today we're going to be in getting into chapter 3. I don't know if we'll get through it or not. We'll at least get partway through. Um, and if we don't finish uh, today, we'll finish in two weeks. Next week we'll have prayer Sunday. And uh, I'm getting my knee replaced tomorrow. Uh, in the morning, so I suspect it's probably going to be a couple of weeks till I can be back up teaching, so it works out good uh, this way uh, for me. Um, now, of course, we've looked at two very significant chapters thus far. The first is on faith, and Lord, uh, you know, everything in the Christian life requires faith. You know, we're saved by faith, but we're to live by faith. And we talked about what faith is. Faith is not as the world uh, presents it, as uh, just blindly believing something that there's no evidence for. That true biblical faith is based upon facts. Facts of the Word of God. Uh, Facts that uh, can be backed up by Scripture. Uh, facts that have the very testimony of God behind them. That's biblical faith. And everything in the Christian life calls for faith. You know, and, I, and I did point out during you know, uh, our first study uh, that I believe the re- one of the reasons, or the main reason perhaps God has made faith so necessary... Is because if you go back to Genesis 3, what brought sin into the world? It was not taking God at his word. It was wanting to rely upon uh, one's own uh, sight and, and uh, their own uh, you know, evaluation of things. And so from beginning to end, God is using 
uh, you know, our time here on earth to teach us to put our trust in His Word, in what He says. We are to walk by faith, not by sight. When Adam and Eve tried to walk by sight, that's when we got in trouble. The fruit looked good. It sounded good. It, you know, uh, but it, it was... In, what they saw and heard from the serpent violated what God had said. And so, God is using this time on earth to train us in trusting Him. By taking us through a lot of different things where the only way we can verify these things is by putting our confidence in his statements. So everything begins with faith. Now chapter 2 we looked at time and here's an area where we've got to exert faith. That you know the work that God has begun he will complete it. That God is going to finish what he started in our lives. But we know from statements in scripture and also from what we view in scripture as we watch God work in the lives of, of men and women is that there is a time factor involved. There was time involved in God developing Moses. There was time involved in God developing Abraham. There was time developed in God developing Jacob. A lot of time on Jacob and a lot of uh, ups and downs and uh, all over the place. You go through the scriptures and you see that it was, an, uh, it was a lengthy process that God used. And we need to realize that for our own lives, but we also need to realize it for those around us. Those we're working with. Because we can become impatient with our fellow believers. And expect them to be further along than they at times are. You know, when we, the first day we did time, you know, I asked just how many years different ones had been believers. And there was a broad spectrum in our group. And you look around and you can't tell how old somebody is in the Lord by just looking at them. And sometimes... Uh, those of us who are a little more mature get very impatient with somebody who's a year old in the Lord. Or two or three years old in the Lord. We, we fail to grasp the time that took us to get where we're at and we expect others to be there. So time, understanding the time factor is incredibly important. Now today we move into the chapter dealing with acceptance. And he opens the chapter by saying there are two questions that every believer must settle as soon as possible. The first question is, does God fully accept me? You know, does God fully accept you? And if he does, on what basis does he do so? Are you fully accepted by God 
And if so, on what basis are you fully accepted? And he says, this is crucial. What devastation often permeates the life of one young or old, rich or poor, saved or unsaved, who is not sure of being accepted, even on a human level. We struggle with the issue of acceptance. You know, growing up, we wanted to be accepted. Sometimes we made some horrible mistakes by trying to be accepted by the wrong ones. Acceptance is a big thing to us. And it's a huge issue in our relationship with God. As we get towards the end of the chapter, he says, until we are certain of our acceptance, we aren't going to do much standing. (laughs) We aren't going to stand fast. You know, a lot of the uh, promises were given in the word of, of the provisions God's made for us. A lot of them appear very meaningless if we are not certain of our acceptance by God. Acceptance is critical. And he says, yet so many believers, whether strugglers or vegetators, those who are struggling and struggling and struggling in the Christian life, or those who are just kind of sitting there like a bump on the log and going through the Christian life, move through life without this precious fact to rest and build on. And he quotes from Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. Having predestined us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us acceptable in the beloved. God has made us acceptable. And he's done it through our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is your basis of acceptance. That is my basis of acceptance. He goes on, he says, every believer is uh, is accepted by the Father in Christ, being justified by his faith, we have peace through God, with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Our acceptance before God is not made based on any merit on our part. It's based solely on the fact that we are in Christ. Now, you know, back when we were going through Colossians... Oops. I use these props a bit, and I'll put them up this morning. Later, we'll use them uh, in some of the later studies more. But what is accepted is our new man. What is accepted is who we are in Christ. That is 100% accepted. That will always be accepted. What is not accepted by God is our old Adamic nature. 
In Scripture, what's referred to as our old man or the flesh. This is not accepted. It never will be accepted. Who we are in Christ is what is accepted. He says, the peace is God's toward us through his beloved Son. On this our peace is to be based. God is able to be at peace with us through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, having made peace through uh, the blood of the cross. And we must never forget that his peace is founded solely on the work of the cross, totally apart from anything whatsoever in or from us, since God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our faith becomes a fixed attitude once it reflects on this wonderful fact. This is the steadying influence most believers are in need of today. When we come to see that our acceptance is based on who we are in in Christ, on that alone, it will have a steadying impact in our lives. Now, this next slide, I used this some in Colossians, but it's, I think, fits well here. You know, the old man here is illustrated by this bottom line. Your old Adamic nature, your fleshly nature, will never really change. And I hope you come to recognize that. It will not change. Now the world, that's the level the world works on. It's always trying to change that. Sometimes it can make things a little more socially acceptable or something. But it never really alters the fleshly nature. Again, for years, you know, we ministered out at FOA. And in the world, it says what? That a substance abuser is always a substance abuser. They're always recovering. Why? Because they define them on the basis of the Adamic nature. They do not define them on the basis of their new life in Christ. Now that top line, the reason I have it going like this is because we, we gain our new life as in an infant form and it grows, but it doesn't grow in a steady stream. You know, it'll level out for a while and then there'll be another growth spurt and it'll level out. For some, unfortunately, it goes a little ways and then it basically stays the same, doesn't really grow much. They stay infants. But this new man, this is what's accepted by God. Now, a lot of Christians who do not understand the difference between the old and the new spend their Christian lives trying to make the old man look acceptable to God. You know, it reads in Scripture a description of what our new life has the potential to look like, and they think, we got to make the old man look like that. 
You see it in marriages, you know. The man reads scripture of what a, a, a godly husband should look like. And he tries to make the flesh look like that. And he works and works and works and works. Generally very unsuccessfully. Uh, you know, there'll be bits of time when he can, you know, out of sheer determination make it look that way. But it doesn't last. Or the wife, she reads, you know, about, you know, that a, uh, a godly woman who has this submissive attitude and she's going to grit her teeth and be submissive. May do successfully outwardly, but in her heart, there's no submission there. Uh, you know, and we can take it in all different areas. We read the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, and so, you know, in our old Adamic nature, we're going to produce that fruit. Ah, we're going to be loving if it kills us. We're going to be joyful. <laughs> you know, and we try to crank out what is the Spirit's fruit, not ours. These things are intended to flow from our new life in Christ where our acceptance is to be found. And what I, I pointed out in Colossians, and I, I always like to point out with this chart, is whenever you step off of this and step back down into your old uh, Adamic life, you will find it's no different. That's why Joan L. and I say, the more we grow in the Lord, the more schizo we look. Because we can be going along up here, and when we step back over here, it's as nasty looking as it ever was. It does not change. And that's where, unfortunately, we've gotten this concept in Christian circles of backsliding. This is not going backwards. The old, I mean the new man is not going backwards. What we're doing is stepping off into, into an unchanged realm. But if you don't understand that, it's very discouraging. I know Jonelle was meeting with a young woman in, in Ireland. She was actually teaching her piano lessons and they got to talking about this. And you know, this young woman, she goes up the keyboard kind of and she says, you know, here I am, I'm growing in the Lord, growing in the Lord. And all of a sudden I'm back down here. Jonah said, no, you aren't. You've stepped off into a realm that hasn't changed. And the answer is to recognize what happened and step back over and pick up and go on. Not waste a lot of time trying to fix this. We had a couple in Ireland who said, this did more for their marriage <laughs> than anything they'd ever been told. Because they came to realize that their marital struggles were when they stepped over into the flesh. And that, you know, to be able to say to the other, look, I'm sorry I stepped into the flesh and my flesh is nasty, I know it, you know it. 
It's not an excuse, but it is what I have done. And a lot of times in, in marriages, people, you know, they say, well, you promise you'll never do it again. All I can promise is if I get in the flesh, it'll probably show its same colors. But I can promise that my desire is more and more to live on the basis of my life in Christ. And if I step off in the flesh, Jonelle doesn't think that my Christian life has gone backwards. She realizes I've stepped over into the flesh. And vice versa. She does have a flesh. We all have one. And we can laugh because we all know we have one. <laughs> we all know that, that area that we don't really want people to see. Because it's not pretty. But again, I've gotten off a little bit, but I think it's important because a lot of our viewing of acceptance is we're trying to make that old Adamic nature look acceptable. And God says, look, my answer He really wants to avoid the cross. <laughs> so. The answer to the old man, Scripture tells us, Amen. is to crucify it. And trying to make him acceptable, it's like, you know, the thief hanging on the cross and somebody coming out with a makeup kit. We're going to make him look better. He's crucified. How can trying to make him look better accomplish anything? Now I did talk about again in Colossians that I think many make the mistake of thinking that crucified means he's dead. No. There's things in scripture that are said to be crucified. There are things that are, that are said to be dead. Crucifixion is a place of judgment that will lead, ultimately lead to death. The world's been crucified to us. It is not dead. It's in a place of judgment. The old man is crucified. We have died with Christ. We have been resurrected with Christ. We have a new life with Christ. But the old man is to be seen hanging on a cross. Unable to be made acceptable to God. So don't waste your life trying to make this old man acceptable. Learn to uh, the basis on which you're accepted this new life you have in Christ. <coughs> and learn to live in that realm. So going back to our chapter, he says, Our faith becomes a fixed attitude once it begins to rest on this wonderful fact. This is the steadying influence most believers are in need of today. A century ago, J.B. Stoney wrote, 
The blessed God never alters nor diverges from the uh, acceptance with, in which he has received us because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Alas, we diverge from the state in which God can ever be toward us as recorded in Romans 5, 1 through 11. Many suppose that because they are conscious of sins, that they hence... Uh, that hence they must renew their acceptance with God. So what he's saying is, you know, people, believers step off of the realm of who they are in Christ back over into this old realm. They are aware of sin. And now they think that God's view of them has somehow, somehow changed. It hasn't. They've stepped into an unchanged realm. Who they are in Christ is still as acceptable as it ever was. And it always will be. It does not change. And isn't it, y'all, it's such a beautiful thing if you think about it. Because when we we go before the Lord now, as we understand this, we don't think of, we don't go to Him as someone not accepted. And we know when we step into the flesh, Lord, here I am in this flesh of mine that is so bad. But that's not who I am in Christ. Thank you for that. And thank you that you have stepped one inch away from me. I pulled away from you. No. That is security. It changed everything. so much for me personally uh, to understand this. Because, you know, you beat yourself up and you feel like you're not accepted. So now you've got to get back to being accepted. Not true. Yeah. That's a real freeing thing. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really, that's why it's early in this book. Because it is so critical that we understand our basis of acceptance. See, it says, you know, when we step, step over into this unchanged realm... He says, the truth is, God has not altered. His eye rests on the work accomplished by Christ for the believer. His eye is on who I am in Christ. It does not change. Now, if I'm living in sin, there's a lot of actions in my life that are not accepted by God. But I'm accepted. I'm accepted in the beloved, in my relationship to him. He says, when you, are, when you are not walking in the spirit, you are in the flesh. When you aren't walking in the spirit, in this new man, you're over here in the old man, in the fleshly nature. He says, you have turned to the old man which was crucified on the cross. You have to be restored to fellowship, and when you are, you find your acceptance with God unchanged and unchangeable. He says, you know, you've stepped over here, you have to be restored to your fellowship with God. But you find that your acceptance never altered. And it never will. 
He says, when sins are introduced, there is a fear that God has changed. He has not changed, but we have. And that's important. Again, I grew up with this idea that when I sinned, Yes, there was a break in fellowship, but the break in fellowship was kind of viewed that when I sinned, God pulled away from me. But then I was studying through 1 John 1 on an occasion, and it suddenly struck me what is being said there. John says, look, if you want to have fellowship with God, you've got to be willing to walk in the light. And I know a lot of people say, well, walking in the light is not sinning. I don't think that's what he's saying. In fact, later he says, if you say you don't have sin, you're lying and the truth isn't in you. The quality of light is that it is a revealer. I used to tell my students, you know, when I got up in the morning in a dark room and looked in the mirror, I looked good. And then I turned on the light and everything changed. <laughs> my hair standing up and <laughs> light reveals and to have fellowship with God we've got the, he is a source of light John tells us God is light and if you're going to have fellowship with him you've got to be willing for that light to shine into your life and that light as it shines into your life is going to reveal some unattractive things. It's going to reveal sin. And what I came to a realization of is when I sin, God does not pull away from me. But the discomfort of his light causes me at times to pull away from him. I don't want to have to look at that sin. I don't want to have to face that sin. I want to deny that sin. I want to try to slink off over into the, into the darkness a little bit where I don't have to look at that sin. But I'm a child of the light and there's no comfort there. And so ultimately it pushes me back to God who never moved. Who's where he always was. I read a little story one time was talking about this older couple driving down the road in their pickup truck or something and and this young couple passes them by and they're plastered so close together you can't get tissue between them and that was back when there was bench seats <laughs> uh, and the older woman looks over to the older man who's behind the steering wheel and says we used to be like that what happened? He said, I haven't moved. <laughs> and that's what happens with us in the Lord. We're going along and we're, we're feeling so close to him. And, 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 things, and we, we say, Lord, what happened? He said, I haven't moved. You just got uncomfortable with my light. You pulled away. I'm still here. My acceptance for you is as strong as it ever was. I have not rejected you. I have not withdrawn from you. 
You have withdrawn from me because of the discomfort that my light is bringing into your life. And that's why he says, you're not walking in the Spirit, but in the flesh. You have to judge yourself in order to be restored. You have to be willing to acknowledge. Yes, Lord, what your light revealed is, is accurate. It is sin. And you have to move back towards the Lord. He says... For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But if your sins are not met there, where can they be met? Now where remission of sin there is, there is no more offering for sin. <coughs> God has effected the reconciliation. He always remains true to it. Alas, we diverge from it. And the tendency is to suppose that the blessed God has altered towards us. He certainly will judge the flesh if we do not, but he never departs from the love that he has expressed to the prodigal. And we find that when the cloud which walking in the flesh produced has passed away, his love, blessed be his name, had never changed. He says, we diverge, and the tendency to think is that God has. And he says, that's not true. God has not altered. He has not changed. And when we come back, we find him there with the acceptance that's always been there. And he mentions the prodigal here. And it, uh, some years ago, I was reading... Uh, something by a fellow who had worked in the Middle East for a while. And he uh, shared the story of the prodigal son with, uh, with some of the men there. I guess, they, I don't know if they were Arabs or what in that area. And he said, what is it in this story that stands out to you? And they said, what stands out is that the father ran to meet the son. He said, in our culture... A patriarch is always very cautious of his dignity. He said a patriarch generally would never run. That would be undignified. But he said, what, they said what stands out is that the father throws his dignity aside and runs to meet the prodigal son. Why? Because the father had never rejected the son. The son had still had the father's acceptance. He simply had to return and the father was there so anxious for that restoration that he runs to meet him. And you'll find God will run to meet you time and time again. Because he didn't pull away from you. His acceptance has remained constant. So he says, as it goes on, God's basis must be our basis for acceptance. He says there is none other. 
You've either got to come to by faith accept the fact that God's acceptance of you is based on your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ and that and that alone, or you will never find a basis for his acceptance. There's no other basis. Your fleshly nature will never become acceptable. I've been a believer for 65 years. And my fleshly nature is no more acceptable to God now than it was when I accepted Christ at a young age. No more acceptable. And neither is yours. And it's, that's important to keep in mind because I think where I've seen many a person who the Lord really used in some significant ways lose their way by not realizing that their fleshly nature had never changed. You know, you see some uh, man who, you know, started out good, with really good ministries and, and those ministries grew. And next thing you know, they crash and burn. And people want to say, well, it was all, it was all uh, fake. It was all hypocrisy. It wasn't real. I don't necessarily believe that. I believe that for a while, they were moving along on the basis of who they are in Christ. But somewhere along the way, they thought that the old man had changed. That they had become this. And they took their eyes off of the Lord and they began living on the basis of this. And it showed its true colors. Because those men, that fleshly nature was like that when they got saved and that fleshly nature never changed. The problem was they lost sight of it. I used to tell my students over and over again, I am scared to death of my flesh. I fear what it's capable of. And I think it's a healthy fear. It reminds me I cannot let that fleshly nature guide me and lead me and reveal itself through me. Yes, every once in a while it will show its ugly face, hopefully very briefly. And I will realize very quickly what happened and step back over. But after 65 years with the Lord, my life could go down very, very rapidly if I started walking in the flesh. And any of yours could. Never, never, never lose sight of that. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Learn to live on the basis of your acceptance. That relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, we are accepted in the beloved. Our Father is fully satisfied with his beloved Son on our behalf. And there is no reason for us not to be. Our 
our satisfaction can only spring from and rest in his satisfaction. It is from God to us, not from us to God. J.N. Darby was very clear on this. He says, when the Holy Spirit reasons with man, he does not reason from what man is for God. It's not about what we are for God. It is about what he is to us. But from what God is to man, souls reason from what they are in themselves as to whether God can accept them. They're reasoning on the basis of their life. Can God accept me? He cannot accept you thus. You are looking for righteousness in yourself as a ground of acceptance with him. He says you cannot get peace peace whilst reasoning in that way you can't he says the Holy Spirit always reasons down from what God is and this produces a total change in my soul it's not that I abhor my sins indeed I may have been walking very well it's that I abhor myself Now, I know this runs contrary to what the world tells you. The world tells you that your problem is you don't love yourself enough. Scripture tells you that your problem is that you love yourself too much. That you really don't realize what you are like. When Scripture says, in my flesh dwells no good thing, that is not an exaggeration. He says, this is how the Holy Spirit reasons. He shows us what we are, and that is one reason why he often seems to be very hard and does not give peace to the soul. As we will not be relieved until we experientially, from our hearts, acknowledge what we are. We've got to acknowledge what this old man is like. And he says, until the soul comes to that point, he does not give it peace. He could not, it would be uh, uh, healing the wound slightly. He says, the soul has uh, to go on until it finds there is nothing to rest on but the abstract goodness of God. And then if God be for us, who can be against us? We've got to be brought to the point where there's nothing to rest on but the abstract goodness of God. If he is for us, who can be against us? We are accepted in the beloved. Now we probably ought to stop there. It's a pretty good breaking point. We'll finish the chapter in two weeks. But he's going to say, sadly today, most believers actually reason just the opposite from themselves to God. You know, when everything's going along, God, uh, well, God's pleased with me. He accepts me. But when things get hard, oh, God's against me. No. That's not the way it is. We are fully accepted in the beloved. Any questions or thoughts? We have a minute, maybe. Before I have to close. I have a question. Yeah, sure. Could you just say again the, the bit about that crucifixion is not death? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, okay, you go back. People think, well, crucified means dead. Okay, go back and read the crucifixion account. The two thieves are crucified. They're still talking. One of them gets saved while he's hanging there on the cross. Crucifixion is a place of judgment, a, a place of humiliation and judgment that ultimately leads to death. <clears throat> but there are certain things in Scripture that are said to be crucified. There are certain things that are said to be dead. It's an interesting word study looking at them and recognizing that there's a difference. The Holy Spirit, you know, guided these terms for a reason. And that's where one naturism comes from. Well, the old man's been crucified. So he's dead? No, he's not. He's, we're to view him as being nailed to a cross. And if we're letting him guide our lives, we're letting someone that's been nailed to a cross tell us what to do. Which is stupid. To put it in blunt terms. The world is said to be crucified to us. The world's not dead, but it's been put in a place of judgment. I think we need to recognize the difference between these terms and, and understand what they are uh, saying to us. And that's why we are, whenever it comes to our old nature, rather than trying to repair it, we need to look at it and say, that thing that ugly thing is nailed to a cross. I want to leave it there. And I want to embrace this new life that I have in Christ. Does that help? Okay. Our problem is we have equated those in the past. Yeah. Yeah. We've made them, made them synonymous terms. And, you know, I was talking to my nephew who's going to DTS. And he said, too, he said, too often... We take certain terms and don't recognize the difference between these terms. And that there's a reason God chose the word he chose. And, and that these terms aren't necessarily synonymous terms. When he chooses to use the word dead or died, there's a reason he chose the word dead or died. When he chooses the word crucified, there's a reason why he chooses the word crucified. And what we need to do is look at the, what that word really entails and understand the meaning that it's trying to convey over to us. Yeah. Okay, well, let's close. Lord, sure. Rick is having surgery in the morning. And would you allow us to pray for you? Sure. Is you close and not pray after you. Okay, yeah. Lord, we do thank you for our acceptance in the Lord Jesus Christ. How precious it is. Lord, the more we see our fleshly nature for what it is, the more we recognize how hopeless it would be to look for acceptance in ourselves. But Lord, we're thankful that we are accepted in the beloved and that acceptance will never alter because he will never alter. Yeah. Lord, we pray that each one in this room might find the peace that, bring, that it brings to understand this important concept. Yes. First, in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.